are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7500. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central, Alabama. Happy Thursday, everybody. Happy July 1. Lance, how you doing today, my man? Noah, today is a beginning and an end. What I mean by that is, obviously, it's the beginning of July, duh, obviously. But it's also an end. This month is the last calendar month of the year that we have without college football. Next month, we will have college football. I cannot tell you how excited I am, Noah. I'm That's thrilled. right. Media days are this month. Like, this is this is it. We're here. This is it. Bo Nix, we're going to see him improved. We're going to see him focused and having fun. It's so, it's getting so close. I'm really, really excited for the open, for the beginning of the season. I believe later in the show we're going to be talking some of those week one matchups and breaking down some of the spreads and things like that. I'm really excited to get into it. But will we see him drinking Milo sweet tea? We might. We <laughs> might. On game day on the sidelines with a cup of Milo sweet tea every time he goes back. Yes, today is day one also of the NIL deals or the NIL time period, the new era in in collegiate athletics that allows college athletes now to sign name, image, likeness deals with various organizations, various businesses to be able to now profit off of their name, image, and likeness. And we saw a number of athletes release stuff today. Bo Nix, the first Auburn athlete to do it today earlier this morning at like 12.02 a.m. or something like that. Bo Nix reveals that he has signed an agreement with Milo's Tea Company. Some other athletes, well, a large portion of them actually signing with a platform called Yoke Gaming, which is basically a gaming platform for athletes and whatnot. There were a lot of Auburn players who did that. You had Devin Cambridge on the basketball side of things with football. You had Ladarius Tennyson, Zion Puckett, Devin Barrett, Marquise Burks, Eric Reed Jr., J.J. Evans, Dre Butler, Jalen Simpson, Joko Willis, Javarius Johnson, Sean Shivers. Sean Shivers has also alluded a little bit to teasing on social media that he'll be selling his own apparel soon as well. Off, you know, the the main three athletics at Auburn, you go to gymnastics and Darian Goburn, the Auburn gymnast, signed an agreement with Salute Leos. So you've seen kind of this across the board at Auburn today, a lot of agreements signed. Yeah, that's right. And then as as well for Shivers, him signing a deal with the Locked on Auburn podcast with our, our good friend Zach Blackerby. He's going to be joining the team and helping us uh, spread the word on a fantastic podcast, uh, again, run by Zach Blackerby. Uh, really excited there. And then also Brandon Council joining the Locked on podcast family. Really excited to have him on board as well. But yeah, a lot of Auburn, uh, Auburn 
players uh, going ahead and dipping their toes in the water with this NIL stuff. You saw literally at 12.01 midnight just scrolling through Instagram and refreshed it, and there it was. Uh, Bo Nix posting about Milo Sweet Tea, <laughs> and you know, honestly, the gut reaction was like, out of all the out of all the companies that you could have done a deal with, why Milo's? And then I realized it's like actually that's a pretty good starter. And also, you have to think how much money did Milo's just throw at this kid that be the first post well it enraged a large portion of the alabama fan base i can't tell you how many videos you see on social media right now of alabama fans pouring down like half gallon jugs of sweet tea down oh, their drain i didn't I'm like, consider that i'm like dude hold on a second that just hurts you milo's already got your money man like that that just hurts you, you that that is not that does not hurt milo's to see i mean it probably doesn't make them feel great to see you pouring down their sweet tea down the drain but they already got the money man <laughs> like I, <laughs> I can't believe i didn't think about a rival fan base having a player commit to a company and the also other, that makes up a substantial portion of this state, of the state much more so than auburn does right and then the rival school saying well we don't like that company now i didn't factor that in you know i actually had a discussion with some folks about this like how petty will people get mm-hmm. i don't think so people are still going to be buying milo sweet tea so here's my thing and this may really upset some people out there and i'm sorry i don't like sweet tea like at all what? I really don't like sweet tea. I just, I've tried, like, I've legitimately tried the to get into it. the second person at this station to tell me that today. I could Jacob told me that earlier. I can't do it, man. I'm sorry. It's not, it's not, like, inherently, like, terrible. Like, if somebody gave me a cup of sweet tea and they're like, drink this, I, I wouldn't be like, no, I'm not going to drink that. I'm disgusted by it. It's just like, oh, no, no. But I What's pre- wrong with it? Uh, it's just. You're the, one of those people that think it tastes bitter? It's not bitter my dad thinks it's bitter it's not bitter in a way i just don't like the taste it just throws me off a bit i don't know i don't know what it is it's not anything specific about it like it being bitter or sweet or sour or whatever i just i just can't vibe with the taste wow (laughs) and i love it uh, again it's not like it's just like a mason jar let's do it it's not like just disgusting like if somebody gave me some sweet tea and they made me drink it i would drink it but like i don't know man some alabama players released agreements as well yoke gaming continuing to be a common theme here Treshawn holden a wide receiver joins yoke gaming as well as demarco hellums chris allen evan neal let's see keep going down the list here you also see javion cohen as well that's a former auburn commit there Mm -hmm. javion cohen i haven't seen that name in a little bit and then bam there it is some other agreements, Devontae Smith, the DB, not the receiver that just went to the next level. He signed with a company called Gin Loop. Hold up, pause. Alabama has a defensive back named Devonta Smith as yes, well? Yes, but the V wow. is not capitalized like what? it is in Devontae Smith. So How did I not know that? I'm learning right. so many new things in this segment. I also think Jacoby McLean signed with Gin Loop, whatever that is. I'm not, I'm not familiar with GinLoop.com, but Jacoby McLean's another Auburn player who did that. On the Alabama side of things, still continuing along, Jordan Battle signed with Gin Loop. Apparently, it offers fans the opportunity to get personalized videos over Instagram or Twitter oh. from celebrities or athletes for a fee. So that's 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 what that says according to this twenty four seven Sports article on Bama Online. And then HI Hall partnered up with College Football Edits and Playmaker. Let's see, continuing to go through this, Treshawn Holden, also college football edits, and that's pretty much the list there so far that I've seen for both of these universities, 24-7 sports, whether it's Auburn, 247, or it's Alabama side of things, they're keeping up with 
NIL tracker and these agreements that are being made and they're keeping up with it uh, real time. Not surprised that we are seeing so many deals being made day one. I can only assume that there were already uh, deals in the works behind the scenes that weren't being talked about where players weren't getting paid yet. They were just being told, hey, we're going to bring you on to uh, sponsor or promote or whatever uh it, it, the moment july 1st hits and sure enough we're already seeing a lot of deals being done i'm going to be interesting interested to see when some of these really big name companies come after some of these big time college football players to see places like we've talked about them before nike under armor apple different places like that it's going to be interesting to see uh what who they go after in what regions of the country they're in i wonder how long until uh quincy mckinstry gets a kool-aid sponsorship Dude. i saw that on twitter Dude, yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I can't. That's going to be fantastic, dude. Hold on. We better be careful. Kool Aid Man just destroys a wall and comes in here. Just busts We have to say, oh, no, a lot, though. He, he won't come if you say, oh, yeah, but if you say, oh, no, a lot, he'll bust through the wall behind me. Let's keep, the, let's keep the oh, oh no's on the down low, then. <laughs> Dylan Lark behind the board with us today. We want to hear from you, 334-321-1390. Text box as well, 334-564-1840. That's how you can reach us, whether you call in or text us. Also tweet at us, at Point Gardner, at Dawn Pound, whatever's on your mind. We want to hear from you. What are your takeaways from today's NIL news or anything else going on in the sports world? Whatever you want to talk about, call in. Lance, what are your takeaways after you've seen the rollout of a new era in college football. Well, again, I'm not surprised that all these different athletes are signing all these different deals. It's not more than I expected. It's it's a, it's about what I what I assumed would happen. But again, I'm really looking for some of these big name companies to step in and start signing some of these big time college athletes to deals. And I'm looking to see specifically Nike and Under Armour to see what where they go. Do they go after Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson players? Do they go after those guys? And then Under Under Armour, what do they do with places like Notre Dame and Auburn? Obviously, it's going to be interesting to see what they do there and again I'm just excited I this is this is a new era of college football again we're only one we're literally less than one day in so it's hard to make a lot of projections and and a lot of have a lot of takes on it other than I'm just excited and anticipating the future to see how this all shakes out I've got a list of takeaways up to this point but I'll start at the top of that list athletes really are eager I just read off a long list of Auburn and Alabama players of that group. Athletes are eager right now, but with that, I hope they make good decisions because throughout today, I've talked to various people about all of the vast possibilities, and we just don't know. There are a ton of factors to consider with the NIL, and we've been talking about that for months on end now, and I don't think anybody will know what could arise down the line. But with anything, there are unintended consequences and unintended factors that are borderline impossible to consider. And I'm not saying that the NIL is a bad thing for collegiate athletics. I think that more than not, it will be a positive thing in collegiate athletics. I just hope that athletes make the right decisions because where there's money, there, there can be greed. Where there's money, there can be bad folks. I mean, that's just that that's a common thing in life. And I hope that this is not something that you see destroy athletes out there. I mean, there was even an ESPN 30 for 30 called Broke, where you see even some of the richest athletes and the top athletes in their game go broke because of poor decisions, poor trust decisions and the types of people that they place their trust in. 
what negative unintended consequences could arise down the line. I hate to put a damper on a, on a day like this where probably a lot of guys are super excited about the deals that they're making, but I think we would be remiss to, to not ask this or, or maybe it would be irresponsible to not ask this and not be cautious and say what negative unintended consequences could arise down the line from this. And honestly, we won't know until we get there and every athlete's just going to have to make the best decisions that that with the information that they have. Yeah, I really hope we don't see any athletes out there being taken advantage of. And I think, unfortunately, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen within the first couple of years of this NIL agreement. We're going to see companies or, or, or people take advantage of some of these athletes and either either give them raw deals or just treat them unfairly. And I really hope that that, that doesn't happen. But I assume... Or maybe poor management of funds it, as well. Right. Like guys making poor financial decisions that happens a lot and I'm not necessarily saying that this group of college football players for the next couple seasons are guinea pigs to like test to see okay how is this going to run but certainly half a decade down the line players are going to know a little bit better how they should price things how they should manage money and who they should do deals with essentially well guinea pigs is kind of the harsh negative connotation they're pioneers right that's the positive way to spin it they are going into a vast frontier that largely has not been that has not been explored this is like going out west back in the 1800s you know this is exploring a territory of college football that we have not been before and you don't know what negative consequences that you could run into along the way just like with anything in life and so I think that's one takeaway I've had today something that I've thought about a lot today actually is what will this look like two years down the line or even a year from where we stand today what what will college football like be like and what situations or disputes could we see arise over the next year as we continue to explore this territory that's never been that's never been ventured into before in college football at least not in a way that the NCAA has has not condemned right second takeaway that I've had there's a real market for all of these athletes and I'm not just saying football I think for all athletes there's a real market for this not just football players it just depends on the following that they have and Auburn's a really good example for this right now because Auburn's actually had a couple of athletes outside of football sign agreements, right? And I look to Devin Cambridge, of course, on the basketball side, but even more so important, I would say Darian Goburn on the gymnastics side. Auburn has a gymnastics athlete that has signed an agreement, right? And then you also stay with gymnastics. Suni Lee is going to the Olympics. Right. Talk about a massive social media following. This has been talked about. This is not an original thought on my part. This has been talked about over the last week or so since we saw her qualify for the olympic gymnastics teams at the trials over a week ago but with her social media following she should have no trouble to make some serious dough right it's not reserved just for football players i think anyone with a following namely really on social media that can cultivate a following of a mass amount of people they're going to be able to generate interest from businesses because you look over Uh, on social media on whether it be instagram or facebook or or whatever platform it is snapchat there are individuals out there that really just document their life influencers if you will that don't really do anything they're just famous youtubers and they make a ton of money because a ton of people like to sit there and watch their videos they just might be funny right it's like these are real athletes they they have a craft they have something that they do at a high level not saying that those influencers don't on average but still if there's a market for 
influencers out there, there's a market for for athletes to become influencers because they have a real platform. Right, right. If you if you are trying to become an influencer, and not necessarily talking about athletes, like you mentioned, YouTubers, uh, models, whatever, whatever you want to, whatever you want to be, you have to have some form of outlet on social media. It's become more important than ever to be on social media if you want to become something in my opinion and and just having that outlet for some of these athletes i think is going to be really important and as far as like how many deals they can get how much money they can get per deal i think you made a great great point with lee the gymnast i think she's going to be able to get a lot of money because you look at her follower account it's like 192,000 people it's hers like, may be national deals right not local deals but national deals she may be too big for the local deals and even the national deals she may be asking for a pretty penny because it's not like you stumble across a an 18 year old athlete athlete with almost 200,000 followers every day it's like they're valuable which is where I go into my next takeaway there appears to be a real market for this big and small I remember Matt maybe asking us this question a week or two ago on the show and he asked the roundtable this as well will large markets maybe have an advantage over smaller markets in terms of recruiting and I think that remains to be seen but I do believe that there is a market for this whether it be small or large and it does kind of determine how much money you'll make smaller scale less money larger scale obviously more money but you see deals that are kind of like pocket change in the grand scheme of this that are you know $200 deals maybe you're signing your autographs that's little things but I also think that you're seeing big deals too which I would I would assume Bo Nix with Milo's is probably a big deal right so you've seen something on that scale but you've also seen smaller stuff as well out the gates and it's early this is just day one I imagine bigger things will happen this is literally just day one imagine how big this could become when major players like major corporations such as like what if Disney stepped into the ring with this right like what role do their parks in major cities of the United States like USC and UCLA or even in Orlando with UCF and maybe some of the other Florida institutions what role does a place like Disney play in all this or other major companies and other major organizations that are in big cities this is only going to get larger yeah and when whenever you you shrink it down to the smaller scale talking about things that can happen in smaller communities and smaller deals it's going to help communities like auburn if you see and i think the max roundtable gave this specific example if you have a like an arby's and they want to pay a player to come sign autographs for an hour for like 500 350 bucks somewhere around there they're going to come and they're going to sign autographs and then arby's is going to get that money back because people are going to come for the autographs and then also they'll be able to get food arby's is going to make that money back up and it's going to be really really good for different places around the community to it's to boost what they what they get out of all these different college kids it's just going to make the market i think a little bit bigger it's more more money is going to flow through it i think it's going to be a very good thing moving forward especially for some of these smaller towns my last takeaway one that i don't believe has maybe been talked about as much as i thought it was going to be talked about today but the role that video games play in all of this will only get larger as the NCAA franchise returns which EA Sports did put out a statement today saying that they were looking forward to exploring the future of including athletes and what that looks like and including real world athletes inside their video games instead of you know blank number rosters right but many players signed with Yoke Gaming as I already put out there. There's You look to the NFL and guys like Juju Smith-Schuster or even Carrion Johnson for more of a local example. They have such a huge platform on streaming video games. That's something that we're going to continue to see be a major role in athletics. 
You also think back to that like UCF kicker many years ago that was Destroyed. benefiting, yeah, that was benefiting off of his YouTube channel, and the NCAA didn't like that very much. Stuff like that is going to play a much larger role than maybe just these guys signing deals. You're going to see these athletes become possibly entrepreneurs on their own, where they don't have to sign deals. They can already just use their following and leverage that in a place like video games, where you can stream and make money ra- rather easily without having to sign a deal. Right? Like that's something that you you keep up with a lot, Lance. Do you think some of these athletes like Destroying who had who who profited off their YouTube channel, do you think that they would turn around and like sue the NCAA for what know. they've done in the past? I, don't I can know. see some of these guys turning around and being like, We want something out of this now. Now that we're out of college and you and you uh screwed us out of getting deals, we want some money. But I also want to talk about the NCAA video game franchise. Right. We're getting football back. I wonder if we'll get basketball and baseball back because, and, and I'm I'm less bullish on a baseball franchise coming back for an NCAA video game series because they really only had a couple of years of it in the early 2000s, which I've actually been playing recently. I dug up my PS2 from the its uh, location under the ground. It's like a fossil, you know, and then pull it out, and I've been playing my old MVP baseball game. So I've been playing some college baseball, but basketball i think's got a much better chance of coming back because people love college basketball but i definitely we, we know football's coming back and based on success with that maybe you see basketball and i'm excited to see if we do get a basketball game get to see some of these uh recent auburn basketball teams get to play with some of these actual players it's going to be a lot of fun let's take a quick break here when we come back we'll talk a little bit about the impact of the future of recruiting how, how the nil could impact recruiting also reggie bush Should he get his Heisman back? That's been a hot topic of conversation. We'll be back. You're listening to On the Line. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Text us at 334-564-1840. Hot topic of conversation today. Obviously, everything going on with the NIL, we went pretty pretty far into it a deep dive in that first segment if you missed it go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast but a big question today is should Reggie Bush get his Heisman back of course he's been pretty vocal about it as well as a lot of other athletes have been vocal about it what are your thoughts we want to hear from you call in 334-321-1390 text us at 334-564-1840 what do you think should Reggie Bush get his Heisman back Lance or you add on this? I'm kind of on the fence right now. And quickly, if you didn't catch that number, the, the text line, you can go to our Twitter account at ESPN1067. It's right there in the bio in case you missed it. You can go check it out there. But the number again is 334-564-1840. I'm kind of with you. I'm kind of on the fence. I've been going back and forth, and you and I were briefly talking about it earlier today. And I kind of came to the conclusion that if it if if the story went either way, meaning if the NCAA decided not to give Reggie Bush's Heisman back, or if they did, I wouldn't necessarily feel like anybody was robbed or violated or cheated out of anything. If it, it, either way, I feel like it would be fair because you got to be you got to think about it. At the time that it happened, it was against NCAA rule, right? If it, it, it if it wasn't, then it would then it would have been perfectly fine. So what from what I understand, he was paid off. It was. I don't, rem- I don't remember how much money it was, but it was an endorsement. It wasn't from boosters, and it would be very similar to a deal that would be done today. 
under this new NIL agreement, correct? It would be similar to it at least. I don't know if I'd go as far as to say it would be similar, but uh, it was $300,000 worth or or roughly $300,000 worth of impermissible benefits from what appeared to come from outside the university in the form of like different agents and whatnot. And that's kind of why I'm on the fence about this because that deal did not help him win the Heisman. It was off the field benefits related. It didn't have anything to do with on the field performance, which is a major portion of, or, you know, if if, if people are kidding themselves, if they think that the Heisman isn't solely based off of on the field performance and statistical performance in collegiate athletics. At the same time, though, that on the field performance helped him get that clout and get that awareness to the point where he would have a business or be endorsed and be given $300,000, right? Like that on-the-field performance got him that attention and got him that money at the end of the day. So True, like, but I'm just trying to figure out where that, how that, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how that connects fully to the Heisman. And, right. and I'm not, I'm not totally shooting down both sides of this. Like, like I said, I'm on the fence and kind of the arguments coming from both sides. There's the one side of this that says it had nothing to do with him winning the award. Why did they take the award away to begin with? And he was just kind of forced into it. So he gives away the award and now he wants it back because it's no longer against the rules. But on the other side of things, I understand what you pointed out already and what other people have pointed out. It was a rule at the time and he broke the rule at the time. And so he was he was punished for it at the time, right? And so can you retroactively change that? And I know a lot of people are looking for that. Like I said, I'm on the fence right now, but I mean, there have been other athletes who have been in trouble for things as well, similar to this, that won the Heisman and didn't have to give it back. Manziel ran into some trouble. John, uh, Johnny Manziel did. And then you also look at Jameis Winston. Jameis Winston's wasn't related to impermissible benefits, but Jameis Winston had off the field issue as well. And then locally too, of course, nothing was ever found out about it. And Auburn didn't get in trouble for it. And Cam Newton didn't get in trouble for it, but you know, there was some scrutiny around Cam Newton as well. Yeah. And that's kind of my thing with with Bush is like, okay, well, under under today's law, like if we were if we were paying off players and stuff like that, from what I understand, it would be somewhat okay. But at the same time, I don't feel like it was such an unjust law for for Reggie Bush to complain because he still violated NCAA rule. And the thing is, with like paying these college players, I don't necessarily think it was an unjust law before uh, today where, where college players were allowed to be compensated financially. Because the, the way that I viewed it up until this movement, movement started was, you know, if, if they're getting scholarships, that's payment. It's a form of payment in itself. Just adding on to it, I feel like that's great. But like for in the Bush situation, I don't know if it, it's the end of the world if he doesn't get it back. Let's take a quick break here. When we come back, we take a look at some week one college football spreads that were released. You're listening to On The Line. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on On The Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. Tweet at us, at Point Gardner, at Dog Pound. What are some of your takeaways from the NIL today? What are some of your thoughts on it? Also, on top of that, 
How might this impact the future of recruiting? Also, another hot-button issue today, should Reggie Bush get his Heisman back? We really didn't get to go too far into that just a second ago. Lance, just kind of final consensus thoughts there maybe on Reggie Bush and that discussion today in the college football community because Reggie Bush wants it back. A lot of people want to see him get it back and they don't totally understand the other side of folks maybe saying that they're it seems pretty one-sided right now yeah and I'm kind of sitting on the fence like you Noah it's like I'm I would if he gets the if he gets his Heisman back good for him good to see that the NCAA's obviously taking their their stuff in a different direction and they're they're allowing uh, allowing these guys to kind of kind of get their get their stuff back with it when it comes to the cases like Reggie Bush really exciting to see stuff like that but at the same time if they say no we're not doing anything we're just going to leave it the way it is because you still you you used your on on the field uh product to to gain money outside the program and that was illegal essentially at the time then I wouldn't be mad at that either I'm just kind of sitting there in the middle it's like either way this goes I'm not I I don't see I don't see a scenario where I would be really upset with it I but if I had to choose I would say give him the Heisman back and a big part of that has to do with the fact that what he got in trouble for had nothing to do with his ability and what he did on the field and winning the Heisman. So I don't totally understand how the two are related, but we'll kind of put that to rest. What are your thoughts? We want to hear from you as well. 334-321-1390, 334-564-1840 is the text line. Maybe you have some other thoughts. We'd like to hear those. Opinions are great. We want to hear from you about it, even if even if you disagree with us. What are your thoughts about it? tease this coming into this segment playing the lines a new segment that we're going to do here on on the line going to try and look at some of the stuff going out there uh, as far as spreads and some lines going on out there whether it be college football college basketball whatever else is going on and we saw some week one college football spreads being brought out by bet online cole kubelik tweeted about it whether it was yesterday or a couple of days ago and we're finally getting to it on the show here some week one college football spreads on your thursday edition of on the line and there are some intriguing games on this list and some some intriguing spreads and i know a lot of our listenership would like to know what auburn opened as auburn opening as a 34 and a half favorite over akron in game one lance if you had to guess right now with that with that line 34 and a half in favor of auburn where do you stand when you see a line like this it's really hard to take the over it's really hard to say auburn's gonna cover i i don't i don't my gut says say is say take take the under say auburn's not gonna cover in this game but i want i want to imagine a scenario where auburn comes out week one game one jordan hare stadium packed out for this uh, auburn akron game which uh, in in all things considered is is worthless like you and i have said it's just it's essentially a glorified practice for for at least the players but for the fans it's going to be something really special and they're definitely going to show up my gut says don't say auburn covers but i want to imagine a world where auburn does so I'm going to say they cover. Akron's bad. Really bad. One of the worst college football teams this upcoming year, probably. And maybe one of the worst college football FBS teams that I've seen in a long time. Like I think that there's a substantial portion of the FCS that could take Akron. And it's a great matchup for Auburn in the sense that Akron gives up over six yards a carry. Auburn may be bringing in a much slower offensive style, a little bit more of a methodical offensive brand than what we've been accustomed to with Gus Malzahn. That was kind of predicated a bit on chunk yardage, and if you weren't getting chunk yardage, well, the offense was going to struggle, right? 
Auburn system may be slower, but I don't think that they're going to have any trouble whatsoever running the football, regardless of who's in at tailback. You might only see a quarter and a half, two quarters of Tank Bigsby, and then it may be the Sean Shivers, Jarquez, Hunter, Devin Barrett show for the rest. You know, Sean Shivers has succeeded when he's played against teams like Alabama State in the past and Akron in the past. He's had over 100-yard performances. I like Auburn to cover this, and I didn't really have to think about it at all. I think Auburn's going to eat. It shouldn't be difficult for Auburn to win this game 42-7. to See, here's what scares me. I've, I'm underwhelmed if Auburn only wins 42-7. to Exactly. Here's here's what scares me, is that I hype Auburn up, not necessarily hype Auburn up, but kind of kind of dumb Akron down in my mind to the point where I'm like, Auburn has to beat them come game day. Auburn has to beat them some something like 42-7 to in order, order for me to be satisfied. Because if Auburn comes out there and they're just incredibly rusty, I don't want to head into week two thinking, oh my goodness, we've got so many things to work out because we're playing Penn State in two weeks. What are we going to do? Our team looks terrible. I want to be able to kind of keep it even keel, keep expectations in the middle of the pack. So whenever Auburn does beat them 42-7, to I feel good heading into that Penn State matchup. All for Auburn to lose. I think that I'm actually becoming a little bit more confident I am about too. that Penn I'm- State game the more and more that I do research outside of the SEC getting ready for the upcoming football season I'm actually feeling a lot more confident especially I've, I've been going through the PFF magazine that I got earlier this week and I'm liking some of the things that I'm seeing in terms of Auburn matching up with Penn State but still talking about this Akron Auburn game and can Auburn cover 34 and a half points even if Auburn's rusty I don't think that they have a hard time covering 34 and a half because like I said it, it should not be a problem for Auburn to win this game based off what we looked at when we did our Auburn football schedule analysis series on Akron this team is awful. You can't point to one thing that this team does well. You can't point to one thing that they do well. So even if Auburn's rusty, that just means they're going to run the football more. If Auburn can't throw the ball all over the place against Akron, well, then maybe you have some reasons to be concerned when Auburn plays better opponents, right? That would be where I see Auburn getting rusty. But I even think running the football, Auburn can get this thing to like, 49 to 7 42 to 7 at least I think I'll be underwhelmed if they only went 42 to 7 genuinely if Auburn puts their foot on the gas for four quarters and does like if they put the backups in but they still have their foot on the gas I can see Auburn scoring over 50 like easily maybe I've been watching too many Tank Bigsby stiff arm highlights Pro Football Focus put a lot of those out there the other day when they named him first team All-American on their list or first team you know all PFF and they showed a video of him stiff, and arm, stiff arming an Ole Miss defender en route to putting Auburn up 28-21 in that game against Ole Miss last year. Maybe I've been watching too much of that, but I just can't imagine a defender on Akron's defense that can handle any of Auburn's running backs, at least not the top two or three running backs. I think Auburn should be able to feast. Let's move on off of that line. Are, are both of Are you going to say that they cover or not? I say I'll say that they cover. I like it. I'm glad I could. I'm glad I could get you fully onto that side. I said like initial gut shot says don't cover, but I said I I want them to cover, and so I didn't really. But give the only you an reason answer. why you had an initial gut shot of that is because you're like the prototypical Auburn fan right now that doesn't want to get themselves hyped up only to be disappointed. I don't want to get hurt. I don't want to have. No, there's a, a lot. Of, I don't there's a lot of Auburn fans hurt. like that. I I want to address that idea. So you're just disappointed all the time, right? Because you're don't tell me you're still not going to be disappointed when something bad happens. That's kind of what I was saying about the Penn State game, jokingly saying 
all for Auburn to lose if I do hype them up after they win 42-7 to or more and they beat Alabama State, obviously, by a million, and they head into that Penn State game. And in my mind, I'm, like, really excited about it, all for them to lose to Penn State and for me to go two weeks into the season, okay, what's the point? Uh, so I, yeah, that's kind of where that's uh, you, that the, that is a good point. But at that least is you get to be hype some, right? Yeah, it's it's more fun on this side. Yeah, both of us are going to be disappointed at the end of the day, and I'll tell you, I actually deal with disappointment a little bit better than maybe the average fan does when something doesn't go my team's way. I'm just going all right on to next week. We're used to it by now, you know. But let's move on. Alabama 18 point favorites over Miami in that Chick Fil A kickoff game. This is an intriguing line. But I actually don't think Alabama's going to have a hard time covering this. Lance, where are you at? Sorry. I was going to get a pen to start writing some of these down so that we can look at them whenever we come back to them week one of the season. So we we both believe Auburn will cover against Akron. Moving on to Alabama. 18 is a lot for a game for what should be a top 15 matchup against two power five schools but is it a lot for Alabama and their history of game ones where I'm remembering them smashing USC Florida State West Virginia Michigan these are big names that probably had better football teams going into their season than Miami and another point that I want to make about Miami is that they played three top 25 teams last year you want to know how much they lost to those top 25 teams last year? I'm going to say by an average of at least two scores. Oh, more than that. Three scores. It's around that. They lost by 25 to Clemson, 42 to 17. They lost 62 to 26 to North Carolina. I watched that game. That was oof. And then they lost by three in the bowl game to Oklahoma State. Solid. Which Oklahoma State is the worst team of that three, that trio that I just named. So they lost by 25, 36, and three respectively to that group. Two of those teams that I named were barely top 25 teams when they play them, barely top 20 teams when they play them. This offense did not produce last year when it played good defenses. They scored 26 against North Carolina, which I don't even know if you could say that was a good defense last year, and they scored 17 against Clemson. They just don't produce. It's kind of it's kind of reminiscent, of, and Rhett Lashley's the OC, it's kind of reminiscent a little bit of Auburn offenses when they play good defenses Mm -hmm. right and so I don't trust Miami whatsoever when they play Alabama week one which is bound to have a top five defense with as much production as they have coming back and top tier NFL talent coming into this season projected NFL talent coming into this season they're loaded so many starters back on that side of the football nine or ten returning starters of a defense that was in the top 10 last year at season's end I have a hard time believing that Miami scores enough in this game, even with Derrick King coming back, and it's a, it's his first game coming back from his injury. And we know already that the Miami defense, this is what's not being lauded about Miami this year. What people are hyped up about Miami this year is the offense. What people are not hyped up about is the defense. I think Alabama could do enough to win by a final score of 42-17 to 17 because we've seen it before. That's exactly what I was about to say is history tells us Alabama will cover and they will cover by a lot. So it's it's uh, while I've been hyping up Miami this offseason and I've said if there's ever going to be a year where Alabama loses three games or, or so somewhere around that and they just completely fall off or wheels fall off the bus, it's this season. But history tells us that Alabama covers in these type of games. So while I would like to see Miami win and I think it's optimistic to say that Miami wins and there's definitely a chance for it. Uh, if I'm a betting man, I'm putting money on Alabama. So <laughs> This is just the type of game that they cover. Alabama covers against the Miamis. They don't cover against the Western Kentuckys because those lines is up, end up being so absurd. 
and Alabama puts the backups in and they coast in the second half Nick Saban's not running up the score on Western Kentucky now he might he might run up the score on a USC or a Miami because those games mean a little bit more than obviously playing your Georgia States or your Western Kentuckys one more game here before we go to break Big Ten matchup there's a couple of fun Big Ten conference matchups in week one Ohio State 14 point favorites over row the boat Minnesota Golden Gophers I, I think I'm, I'm going to take Ohio State to cover this game. I, I don't trust Minnesota. They were really rusty last season, and I know they bring back a couple of really talented running backs, and I believe Tanner Morgan's entering his 20th season with the Golden Gophers at quarterback, <laughs> but I, I see Ohio State just talent winning out, and even though their secondary is pitiful and their quarterback situation, they're still trying to figure that out. I think talent wins out, wins out in that situation. I think Ohio State will have a game like Purdue in 2017 where they just completely explode and they lose by Maybe 24. even two games. Maybe even two games. I don't think it's week one. So in doing a little bit of research about this one, because I didn't know a whole lot about Minnesota, and can you blame me coming into this year? Obviously watched them a lot last year, didn't know what they had coming back. Of course, they've lost what was a beautiful receiving core from a couple of years ago they're they're a decent amount of time removed from that and they've got a good running game right now with Ibrahim out of the backfield but this is not going to be a game that is a blowout for Ohio State I see that Minnesota will hang with them within that two score range which the line set at 14 I think Minnesota will hang within that for about three quarters you get into the fourth quarter, that's where Ohio State will pull away at the end. I see a 17-point victory, maybe even an 18-point victory. I think you could see 42-24 maybe, an Ohio State win. I, I think Minnesota's going to be able to score some points here. Tanner Morgan's one of the better quarterbacks in the Big Ten, one of the better long ball throwers in college football. And the Ohio State secondary, as you have said many an occasion, it's not up to Ohio State standards right now. They gave up a lot of passing yards last year. Minnesota ought to be able to exploit that with as well as they've been able to throw the football over the last couple of years. But unfortunately for Minnesota, from a scheme standpoint, Minnesota is a run-to-set-up-the-pass type of offense right now. And Ohio State has one of the best front sevens in college football. So I think they hang. It's a much tougher game for Minnesota than it is for Ohio State. And as much as a lot of people would want to root for P.J. Fleck in this, Mm -hmm. I don't think that they'll be able to. I I would not take Minnesota with the points. I would take Ohio State and the the points on this one. But barely. I I didn't like this one. This is one that I would probably stay away from, especially with Ohio State starting a quarterback that has not seen any playing time yet whatsoever. Again, pulling for teams like Miami and Minnesota. But if if I'm putting money on it, if I'm a betting man, taking both those teams to cover. Let's take a quick break. Terry, stay on the line with us. We'll be back to get your call when we come back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central, Alabama. Heading to the phone lines now, number to call, 334-321-1390. You can also text us at 334-564-1840. And our favorite Bo Nix fan in the world, we've got Terry on the line with us. Terry, what's up, my man? Uh, don't miss your AA meeting tonight if you believe that. <laughs> uh, you know I'm messing with you. I know that. I'm just kidding myself. Have uh, you guys got the timer on me to see how long it take me to insult him? We actually don't have the timer up right okay. now. We, this is the first day we haven't been prepared for that. You're, okay. The time to beat those three seconds. Actually, actually, I want to ask you guys something about the Alabama-Miami game coming up. I think you're missing something, guys. I mean, Alabama has replacing a ton on offense and defense, and uh, King is one of those quarterbacks that traditionally has given uh, Nick Saban fits. That's and true. I do think they're going to play within that 18. I really do. That would be at least enjoyable to watch. I, I've gotten right. tired of seeing these game one blowouts 
from yeah. Alabama against notable teams, if we can even call Miami that. I mean, only in name, I guess. Yeah, and that's where well, I kind of stand on it. Anyway, both of them could lose. Yeah, but I can't stand either one of them. <laughs> I'm in, I, hey, I'm right there with you, Terry. There are a lot of different games like Notre Dame and Alabama 2012, or like Alabama Ohio State, where it's just like if I could just see both these two teams somehow leave the field with a loss, I'd be pretty happy. Yeah, it reminds me of the, the Duke Kentucky game in the NCAA tournament, the Leitner shot. Ugh. You know, I was like, well, could both of them lose, please, somehow, some way? And I remember telling my friends, I said, anybody but Leitner could take that last shot. He'll make it. Nobody else will. That's fair. And then, sure enough, who took it? Christian Leitner, what'd he do? He made it. That's right. So, and now there's a 30 I mean, for 30 I, I, about I it. Just, like I said, I, I just assume they both could lose, quite honestly. Yeah. So I, I, Unfortunately, I think, I think that can't happen. Rest, I'm sorry, Lance. Un- unfortunately, that can't happen. <laughs> no, that you're right. That can. I mean, uh, and I, you know, people are talking about well, you know, the, the quarterback at Alabama, Bryce Young's going to be the next, you know, next stud or whatever. And John Minchie's great, but how good was John Minchie probably behind Don, you know, the Smith and those guys? That great receiving core. I don't know. Minchie threw up a lot of yards last year. I don't have them right in front of me right now, but Mechie does. almost 1,000. Mechie's up there in terms of like all returning receivers in the SEC. Like Mechie's may may have the most coming back out of any receiver in the SEC this year. It was 960 yards. Yeah, guys, but it all starts and finishes on the offensive line. Alabama lost a lot. Yep. Yep. I mean, look, Nick Saban will have them. They're going to win their 10 games. But I'm just saying uh, that that this game is going to be a lot closer than people think. When I say close, I say, okay, Alabama win by 14. And I'm there with you, Terry, and that's kind of what I would like to see. And I think that's, for me, the most realistic thing I can ask for is to see Alabama either win or lose. And if they win, I would like to see them at least struggle and win by like a touchdown or less. And I think that's realistic. I think if it was any other team in college football, I think a lot of people would be saying that. But there's a reason that the line is at 18, again, because historically Alabama's just done this to different teams in the past in openers. Like Noah was talking earlier, like Florida State, USC. I'm with you though. We were talking Play- about 2016 USC, this, right. or not USC, Alabama, the same way, and then they just absolutely right. annihilated USC. But I'm with you. Quarterbacks like Derek King give Alabama fits, and if they're, if I think Miami does have a chance, I'm with you. Uh, let me tell you, Noah Lance, why he well he giving them fits more than you think. Alabama's going to be young on defense, and he's going to catch somebody out of position, and he's going to sprint down the field for 25 yards. That That's would what's be going to happen. You can see, I can see it happening. The only way, this is for you guys, the only way Alabama would not cover is if Bo Nix somehow transferred to Miami. I was about to ask, I was like, Terry, I don't even have to ask, would you rather have Derek King? Oh, and we just lost him. I was going to ask him if he wanted King or Bo Nix, but I could probably tell you what his answer was. Our favorite Bo Nix hater out there, Terry, on the line with us, 334-321-1390. It's all in good fun. 334-564-1840 is the way that you can text us. I I'm really not giving Miami much of a shot here. I I understand the the arguments that Terry put forward. I, I I get them. Like Alabama is replacing a lot on offensive side of the ball, and that's a big thing. Why I've said I'm not so certain that they'll repeat as national champions, but I still think when you put Alabama and Miami on the same football field, regardless of what Alabama lost on offense, whatever they put out there on the field is going to be better than what Miami has on defense. Yeah, and and, and substantially better, I think, with the way that Alabama's recruited it. But I do, I do have hope. I do have hope. And, and again, like I told Terry, if this was literally any other team in college football, I think a lot of pe- more people would be talking about Miami pulling the upset. But again, look at the line. A lot of people don't think apparently that Miami is going to be able to pull it off because it's sitting at 18 points. 
So I, I, I don't I don't know. I don't know. I, I want Miami to win. I'd like to see them cover. I'd like to see them keep it close. I'd like to see Alabama struggle. I'd like that. But historically, if I was betting, if I was putting money on it, I'd have to put it on the tide because that feels more safe, again, just based off of historics. We still have six lines to go over, and that's going to go into hour number two. We don't have any time left here in hour number one to go over any of these other lines, but we'll talk about Gus Malzahn's line with the UCF. Golden Knights going against the Boise State Broncos. Brian Harson's former location. Can Gus Malzahn beat them? They're favored. We'll talk about a lot of that coming up in hour number two. Some other SEC lines as well. Some really good week one college football spreads. You're listening to Online Hour Number Two coming up in just a few moments. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7500. Hour number two of On the Line. Noah Gardner, Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Whatever's on your mind. We had a fun hour number one. What are your takeaways from today's NIL news that we saw across college football and also locally at Auburn and Alabama? What were your takeaways today? What, What things are you concerned about moving forward into the future? What athletes have signed NIL deals for Auburn and Alabama? Also, should Reggie Bush get his Heisman back? We are welcoming all of your thoughts here on On the Line, 334-321-1390, or the text box at 334-564-1840. We want to hear from you at Point Gardner at Dawg Pound on Twitter as well. If you missed any of the first hour, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, extremely accessible is the On The Line podcast. Also, if you're listening to the show after the fact ever and you are listening to a podcast you want to text us your thoughts, still do it. Go ahead. Once again, 334-564-1840. Starting off hour number two here, not with our Playing The Line segment. We talked about some week one college football spreads that were released. Saw Cole Kubelik tweet some of them out. You can go find him on Twitter and go see some of those spreads. We'll come back to that later on, but I want to start off hour number two with a little Auburn football talk on the recruiting trail. A couple of players within the last couple of days have stated decision dates coming, most notably four-star defensive end Caden Story from right down the road to Lynette. He'll be making his decision on August 1st. And then four-star Nebraska tight end, top 15 tight end, according to Rivals rankings. Michael Riley Ducker set his for, I believe, July 7th, so it's coming up next week. And what's really disappointing, I really wanted Michael Riley Ducker, but it seems like he's leaning more towards Iowa. And honestly, like, who wouldn't? It's tight end you. Why wouldn't you go to play for the Hawkeyes? I still really want to see him. For the hope of winning a national championship. Yeah, if he wants to come and play for something more, I'd like to see him commit to the Auburn Tigers. Before we continue on, I do want to point out something. I would love to, whenever the preseason top 25 drops, run through with Terry and ask him, would you rather have Bo Nick? 
mix or this quarterback from and go through one through 25 and just break it would go from 25 all the way up would be like would you rather have De'Aaron King or Bo Nix would you rather have Bryce Young or Bo Nix and just walk it all the way up I think that would be something interesting to do I think that would be funny I, I, I can only assume uh, what Terry's resounding answer to all of those different quarterbacks would be but yeah I'd like to see again we're talking about recruiting I just want to see Auburn land a guy I just want to see the first dude walk through the program because as we all know Auburn only sitting at three commitments for this 2022 class and it's somewhere between 70th and 60th nationally worst in the SEC Auburn's got to be able to pick it up on the recruiting trail and you and I both were talking yesterday or the day before I believe talking about how we're, we're sitting on yellow right now if green is like Auburn's doing well on recruiting red is just absolute panic button we're sitting somewhere in between we're concerned and we're, we're, we're getting closer to being really concerned as the summer moves on I just want to see that first guy walk through the door speaking about Mike O'Reilly Ducker a little bit more in specific the four-star tight end out of Nebraska at 6'6", 235 this is somebody that I really want to see Auburn get because I think he is someone who legitimately can begin to actually usher in the new scheme that Brian Harson and Mike Bobo are bringing to the Auburn program. Right now, Auburn, is, Auburn does not have a shortage of tight ends on the roster. My question is, do they have a shortage of pass catchers at tight end on the roster? And I think the answer to that right now, true pass catching tight ends that can actually move the needle for Auburn at this position I think they are lacking that. And Micah Riley Ducker moves the needle if he's able, if Auburn's able to get this commitment because I think he could step on campus and play right away. And that actually is a major factor in his recruitment right now. You said that he's leaning Iowa. You go to 24-7 sports, you look for the crystal balls. Right now, four crystal balls in for Iowa. Those are the only predictions out there for him. All four crystal balls in there for Iowa. But a low of a three from David Eichholt of HawkeyeInsider.com. You have a one a low there from Alan True from 24-7 Sports, National Recruiting Analyst. You got a low of one from Sean Bach, HawkeyeInsider.com, and then you have a medium grade of four from Oklahoma Insider, Parker Thune. So relatively low grades here, though, even though it has trended a little bit on crystal balls to Iowa. It's interesting. It's interesting. I didn't realize that while he is being favored toward toward Iowa, the insiders are not incredibly confident that he's going to stick with the Hawkeyes. And obviously, the other school that I think would be in at least legitimate contention, you look at the teams like Missouri and Illinois, it's like, I forget those schools. We're talking about Auburn and Iowa right here. Forget Iowa State, too. We're talking about Auburn in in Iowa and if again if I were wanting to go play for something more play for a national title be that guy to step on campus and get those targets day one I'd commit to the Tigers what works against Auburn in this recruitment his last visit was to Iowa June 25th Mm. so he makes that visit within a week uh, within a week from where we're sitting at today and that will be the last place that's on his memory when he makes his decision on July 7th at 6 30 p.m. Auburn he visited back on June 11th so it's been a little bit and oftentimes you do see the the school that gets the last visit a lot of times they do get the commitment I I don't know if that's going to be the case here but looking at Auburn and Iowa over the last several seasons and results very similar results though and you and and me and you talk about program prestige of course Auburn carries probably a bigger stick in the college football world and the college football community from a prestige standpoint and I make the comment that He's going to have a better chance to compete for national championships at Auburn, which I do believe is true. But results-wise, over the last four or five seasons, Iowa and Auburn are 
pretty much neck and neck in terms of wins and losses and I was putting tight ends into the league so that point that you did make about tight end you at Iowa with players like TJ Hawkinson you know players like that Noah Fant from Iowa as well you look at that group like they do put tight ends in the league and it makes sense why you would want to go and play there if your end goal is to make it to the NFL and maybe not competing for national championships at the college level outside the SEC recruits don't always think that college football is the be-all end-all at the on the flip side of that you look and I really wish I had it in front of me and during, during the break I can go look and I can see if I can try and find it but there are some statistics that have been put out recently in regards to how colleges do whenever whenever they do end up putting guys in the league how those guys fare in the NFL and if they're actually to have a sustainable career and they rank all the different teams that have been able to put guys in the league and Auburn's like third worst in Boise State's like top six top five and so I think my sales pitch if I'm Brian Harson and I'm this coaching staff it's not like, the same Auburn anymore this ain't the same Auburn anymore brother we're putting guys in the league and I know Iowa might be tied in you but we have just as good of a chance as putting you in the league because a lot more eyes are going to be on us than they are going to be on Iowa Caden Story, four-star defensive end from Lynette, making his decision a little bit more in the future, actually a month from where we stand right now, August 1st. This one I think Auburn has a better shot at, not only because of the local connection, he's 30 minutes down the road, depending on how, uh, depending on if you're in Opelika or if you're, you're in Auburn, he's only like 30 minutes down the road, not even. And he, in-state product, he's got to know who Auburn is. Of course, he's also being recruited by Gus Malzahn at UCF. I'm sure that that connection is tied from when he was at Auburn so there's some there's some competition there but I believe Auburn's the best team on his radar at this point because there's some other low-end SEC schools like Kentucky that are in the mix as well but Auburn's definitely got the most prestige of this recruits list the question is does it matter now is he an edge rusher or is he is he going to line up at like defensive tackle kind of kind of that position he's a defensive end how that translates to Auburn's scheme now that remains to be seen, but I, I, I he, he's a defensive end. Yeah, I'm watching his highlights right now, and they've got him lined up. Uh, yeah, they've got him lined up at a defensive tackle, but then he's 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 just bowling through the line. He he looks he looks like if he were going to play at Auburn, he would play that edge spot. And you look at he's his six four two sixty four. You're six, not four, playing nose tackle. No, you ain't. So you look at the you're talking about the list that this guy has. Teams like UCF, A and M, Florida State, Tech, Indiana, Kentucky, Maryland, Mississippi State. You scroll down the line here. Alabama's given him an offer, but you talk about programs in term of prestige. The, the, the big three right there are Auburn, A&M, and Alabama, and Alabama is listed as very cool. So I, I, w- I would assume that Auburn's got a pretty good chance to land this guy. I just really want to see I want to see one guy commit. When did you say Cannon Story's committing? August 1st. August 1st. So we've got a little bit of time, but I would be excited to see Auburn pick this guy up. Story, according to 24-7 Sports Composite, number 220 player nationally number 30 defensive lineman nationally but number 11 player in the state of Alabama and I bring that last point up because we've had that back and forth a bit (laughs) between Travis one of our callers and and the Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports about Auburn being able to get some top 10 guys Caden Story is someone that's hovering outside the top 10 in the state of Alabama that would be a huge pickup for Auburn if they could land him and you talk about where this guy fits in on the defensive line for Auburn on 24-7 sports it says defensive line next to his position other places have him listed as a defensive end in the 3-4 scheme, if he's not an edge rusher, he will play where a guy like Colby Wooden plays. Yes. Which, call that whatever you want. It's not nose tackle, but whether you want to call it 3-4 defensive end or if on the depth chart it's listed as defensive tackle, whatever it's going to be called, 
it, 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 is a, it is more like, in my mind, a 3-4 defensive end than an edge rusher. I don't know if we see this guy line up as outside linebacker, pass rusher, yeah. like a Derek Hall, but because I, I think he definitely mirrors a little bit more of the 3-4 with his, with his hand on the ground, but I'll tell you that what remains he, to be seen. I'll tell you what he'll be doing, and it's something that I've talked about so much on this show, is he'll be getting after the quarterback. Auburn needs that. Auburn needs that really badly. They need an offensive lineman, and they need somebody that can get after the quarterback and actually bring him down. Keith Niebuhr has a crystal ball out on him. He's the only crystal ball out on Caden Story. Medium of six. He's got him going to Auburn. So we'll see how that goes for Auburn. Once again, August 1st, the commitment date for Caden's story. I definitely feel better about Caden's story than I do about Micah Riley Ducker. But I think that there are other options at tight end as well across the nation that Auburn will be able to tap into. But I, I still, out of these two players, the one that I think I would want more to be able to usher in, Auburn's not going to have a hard time getting defensive players with the track record that they've put together on the defensive line and, and actually talk about sending dudes to the league. Auburn puts defensive linemen in the league. Tight end is the position where I feel like if you can get a legitimate pass catcher, it actually kind of changes the dynamic of this offense. And that's why I'm so intrigued by Micah Riley Ducker because I think that could change the dynamic of this offense. But I'm with you. Auburn just needs a commitment at this point because they only have three. And that's it's a dead last in the SEC, 14th in the conference yeah Michael Riley Ducker would definitely be one of those guys where we look at him if he were to commit and say this is this is ushering in a new era of Auburn football in terms of scheme it's oh, going this out is a different player yeah, this you is, know this that is, Gus Malzahn was recruiting yeah this is a different type of player for a different type of scheme and we talk about slowly adjusting and shifting to the scheme that this this coaching staff wants to have and that would be one of the first guys to be in that new system did you see the crystal ball for Zion Cruz did you see for the for the five star shooting guard out of New Jersey? Tell people about it. The crystal ball for this shooting guard again out of New Jersey, five star, really really talented kid. Auburn's been going after him. I believe he was on campus. I believe Christian Clemente was telling us about that just a couple of weeks ago. Number three shooting guard in the country, number twenty player nationally, number one player in the state of New Jersey, six five, one seventy five. Again, Zion Cruz. He named Auburn his leader after he he was on campus. Yeah, named Auburn his leader, and then there was a crystal ball. I believe it was Jeffrey Lee that that submitted the crystal ball. I believe it was on Rivals. I might yeah, be mistaken. That's but right. This is somebody else. You know, Auburn just it blows my mind how easily Auburn's able to go after these five-star recruits and then actually land some of them in basketball. It's just incredible to me how, how compared to what the program was at in 2014, 2015, how quickly it has elevated since then. We're going to take a quick break here on On the Line, and when we come back, we're going to revisit some of those week one college football spreads that we saw released recently earlier this week. Cole Kubelik tweeted out some of if you want to go follow along. Boise State, UCF, how's Malzahn going to do in game one? We talk about that when we come back. You are On the Line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. We'll be right back. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central, Alabama, 334-321-1390 is the number to call if you want to call in live to the show through our phone lines. Also, you can text us. Visit the text box at 334-564-1840. Whatever is on your mind in the sports world, whatever questions, comments you may have, what's going on out there, text us, 334-564-1840. 4-0. Taking a look back at some week one college football spreads. Cole Kubelik tweeted out these a couple of days ago, and we're just now getting to them on the line. 
Boise State at UCF. UCF favored by three and a half in the bounce house. Will UCF be bouncing one and oh after they take on the Boise State Broncos at home? That's pretty much what this is asking. You get three points to the home team. Yep. So they gave them half a point really over Boise State. This is kind of like a pick them to me, but you, you take it UCF or does Boise State somehow <laughs> only lose by like one or two? No, I think UCF covers in this game. I'm not betting against Malzahn with that offense and that quarterback and the situation that he's stepping into. Uh, it's it's not Brian Harson against Gus Malzahn. It's it's I don't even uh, be honest with you. I don't know who the new coach is at Boise State. I'd have to go take a look. I think they made an internal promotion, but go is and, it, go is and it check Kellen out. Moore? Is it Kellen Moore the OC? Do they do they promote him? I think I would know if he was the head coach at Boise State. Yeah. Dylan, research unit. I'm gonna put you on it, my man. Who's the head coach at Boise? I'm gonna get there first. I guarantee it. <laughs> I'm going to say, yeah, I think, I think, I think uh, Boise State definitely loses this game. I've got UCF covering. I took UCF, but I don't feel great about it. I would avoid this game like the plague if I were a betting man, but I'm not. But Andy, still, like I said, I would avoid this game like the plague. Andy Avalos, first season with Boise State. It is not Kellen Moore. Okay, so they didn't make an internal promotion. No, they did not. Or they must have not. Let me look into it a little bit more. Okay, well, I'll continue on about this game. I think UCF will cover, but I don't feel great about it. Gus Malzahn has a good track. Good, he has a good track record in game ones like this. You know, he he won his Power Five games against Washington, against Oregon, against Louisville. He beat his non-conference opponent in Kansas State back in 2014. He wins games like this when he has time to prepare for them. There's one thing that you could say about Malzahn. He had some. He had some whack game plans. He had some whack play calling. He really mm-hmm. did. And I don't just mean whack and the man that's whack. I mean like some Western Athletic Conference old days like level play calling, okay? I'm talking I'm talking some bad stuff like that when he was at Auburn. But one thing can be said, there were a couple games that he would schedule like Alabama and like these game one openers where he would put together a game plan. You're like, all right, that worked. He won. He, he out-schemed them, right? And this, is the, this, this falls into that category. It's his first game at UCF. He knows that eyes are on him across college football. I think he this one's definitely one that's circled with the connection of Brian Harson to Boise and whatnot. I think there's a lot of emphasis on this game. So I expect Gus Malzahn to be at his peak against Boise State. Now, will that continue for the rest of the season? That remains to be seen. But I think that he will be at his peak against Boise State in the opener. They got a fun offense, a lot of toys to play with on the offensive side of the ball. What scares me the most about this game and why I said I would avoid it and why I just wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole, the UCF defense is abysmal, and they really don't bring back a whole lot to make you feel confident that it's going to get better. Gus Malzahn's not the head coach that you bring in to make you feel comfortable about it either. His defense in 2013 and his defense in 2014 at Auburn wasn't that great either, right? It took him a couple years to get that side of the ball going. And it's first-year defensive coordinator Travis Williams. He's going to be learning on the job. And I'm rooting for Travis Williams on the defensive side of the ball. If there's one guy on UCF that I want to see succeed – there's a guy in college football that I want to see succeed. It's Travis Williams, right? And Brian Harson, of course. But, you know, Travis Williams' first year is going to be learning on the job. That's why I don't feel great about this. And I think Boise State's got a better team all around. But best player, 
goes to UCF with Dylan Gabriel, and that could very well be enough to put them over the top. So I do go with UCF to cover this by like four or five points. This is a nail-biter, though. This is one of those like scary close lines that Vegas throws out there where it's like three in the hook, and I'm like, ah, I'm staying away. Yeah, okay, so looking at Andy Avalos, he's actually never had a head coaching job in his entire career. He was a linebacker at Boise State from 2001 to 2004. He was, let's see, he was a defensive line coach at Nebraska. Kearney uh, from 2009 to 2010 2011 he was a graduate assistant at Sacramento State 2012 through 2013 he was the defensive line coach at Boise State 14 through 15 linebackers coach at Boise 16 through 18 defensive coordinator slash linebackers coach 2019 to 20 he was the Oregon defensive coordinator slash inside linebackers coach and then obviously this year being hired as the Boise State head coach so Boise Homer but not an internal hire no he's got a lot to learn too as a head coach he really does so I would I would give the coaching edge probably to UCF because of Gus Malzahn <laughs> you would probably a yeah. man that has beaten Nick Saban in the Iron Bowl three times you well, would no, probably I was, give the hold edge. on I was thinking past Malzahn oh, okay I'm thinking down saying. to the coordinators and Travis Williams inexperience on the defensive side of the ball with that train wreck at UCF right now mm-hmm. on defense that was giving up nearly 40 points a game last year or something like that like that holds it back a little bit for me. I, yeah, I give Malzahn I by far the scheming edge here mm-hmm. versus Avalos and the rest of the Boise State staff. But I wonder how much this defense holds back UCF in a game where I still believe through and through Boise probably has the more complete team, but UCF has overall at the top, the better top end talent with guys like Dylan Gabriel and what they have at running back. I don't feel great about it, but that that's just kind of a little sneak peek into what will be a fun matchup to open up the college football season Boise State at UCF Malzahn's a bunch favored by three and a half right now Georgia Clemson three and a half to Clemson in that Dukes Mayo kickoff classic out in Charlotte so real quick before we move on you 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 agree with me you think UCF's going to cover that game I don't feel great but yes okay cool uh Georgia versus Clemson Clemson three in the hook Clemson three in the hook mm-hmm that's really really I don't I would I would if I were betting I would not bet on this game I'll just say that to, before here's where I start. I'll go with you I'll say Georgia it's a lot harder for an offense to get ready than it is for a defense Georgia returns a lot more on the offensive side of the ball so there's continuity there yes Clemson does not return a whole lot yep. there's not a lot of continuity there you look back at the spring game for Clemson what was by far the worst thing about Clemson during their spring game the offense DJ Uyagalele's team got beat in the spring game I go back to that like there were struggles on the offensive side of the ball like if you were going to point to an issue that could hold Clemson back from winning a natty this year I would point towards the offense and I asked Jacob earlier today when I was just having a conversation with him I said like how good do you think Ungalele is going to be how good do you think he's going to be like rate him like Kelly Bryant's the worst end of the spectrum here to Trevor Lawrence on the top end and he gave me peak Taj Boyd and if if and I and I think that's probably what you get out of Ungalele this year. You get like thirty eight hundred passing yards, thirty plus touchdowns, maybe like ten picks or something like that. I think you get that out of Ungalele, and that's great. Pete Taj Boyd was a really good quarterback, but is it could that hold them back at times this year against the elite teams? And really, that just means the college football playoff in Georgia for them here. And I think it does because if I'm going to give a coaching edge here based off of. Which side of the ball is hurting more for these two programs? 
Georgia's hurting a little bit more on the defensive side of the ball with returning talent, whereas Clemson's hurting on the offensive side of the ball. I trust Kirby Smart to have that defense ready for game one and what he'll be able to scheme to get Georgia ready and to give them an advantage on that side of the ball against a Clemson offense that's still searching for continuity and is still searching to replace Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne, and a plethora of receivers. I trust that a little bit more than what Clemson will be able to do to get their offense ready. I'm going Georgia to steal, to steal this game in week one. If I had notes, I would have said after you finished just now that you stole them from me because that I think that's right on the head. Nail on the head right there, Noah. I would say, yeah, I'm, I'm there with you. I think Georgia covers in this game. Something else to also think about, though, that Clemson offense struggling in that spring game do you think any part of it was because the the Clemson defense could just be something really special this season I think it can be really really good I think it's going to be an elite defense in college football I think the other part of it is it's a spring game so I'm not reading too much into it but I definitely think there is something to be said that there is no continuity on the Clemson offense and that could be a group while it is going to be a good offense in college football it is going to score you know 35 to 38 points a game and maybe even get to 40 points a game but my question is will it produce like that when it plays the best defenses in college football I'm just reminded so much of that 2017 college football playoff semifinal with Kelly Bryant at quarterback and Alabama dismantling them because the the Clemson offense really wasn't that good and I think Ungalele is going to be better than Kelly Bryant I think he is but that's why I posed that question to you where is he on the Clemson quarterback spectrum and is Pete Taj Boyd with this offense surrounding him where there's not a lot of returning parts where Taj Boyd still lost a couple of games every year at Clemson still was a, a 10-4 to an 11-2 quarterback at his time at Clemson is that still enough to get Clemson to a national championship I am probably sitting more on the side that they don't win the national championship either. And this could be Georgia's coming out party as early as game one, especially if Kirby Smart has got the defense ready to go week one. And I, and I think there's a better chance that Georgia's defense is ready to go week one than Clemson's offense operating at peak capacity in week one. And that's why Georgia gets the win. So you and I both agree that this is the first game on this list that we say the team that is favored does not cover. Correct. And I've got a couple more. And doesn't get win to outright. It, but a lot of these on this list I actually do have the favorite covering and that brings me to my next SEC game LSU at UCLA LSU favored by five I actually think LSU covers this one really yeah I after, think LSU covers this one after you and I together hyping up UCLA well, this I'm still hyping them up but I'm hyping them up in the Pac-12 and 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 if LSU does not if LSU succumbs to all of these distractions and maybe they're not as talented as even I think they are at defensive back, they could still lose this game. I'm not I'm not taking away anything that I said in the past, but Dorian Thompson Robinson has made a lot of rash decisions out of the pocket and throwing the football for UCLA turns the ball over a ton. I, I'm going to go more on the side that he is going to make some really key issues throwing the ball to Eli Ricks and Derek Stingley. There's going to be a couple of key crucial turnovers. And LSU's offense is good enough to put it on a UCLA defense that is still pretty bad. I'm going to go with LSU to, to win this one in a relatively close game. Like it may only be seven to ten points, but that still covers a five point spread. I'm going to say that LSU cover or does not cover, but does win. I'm gonna say really? I'm gonna say that they win by three. See, I can't imagine a world where LSU only wins this game by three because of the offensive nature of it. I don't think these teams are going to have a hard time scoring, but I definitely think the team that's going to have a harder time scoring will probably be UCLA, right? Comes down to the team, I feel like, that has the ball the last two or three possessions. So I, I could really see this being a touchdown game, even though it seems closer than someone losing by seven, right? Like, just the way that I think that the game's going to be played, I had a hard time envisioning LSU only winning this by, like, a field goal. 
Because wouldn't that come down to you knocking a field goal through or a defensive stand at the end of the game? I don't mm-hmm. think I don't think LSU's kicking a game-winning field goal to win this. I could see them doing it. I could see them doing it. You know the last time that they did it? Do you remember? Are you, are you trying to burn me with reminding me of 2018 Auburn? Maybe. Just maybe. It's happened in the past, I'm just saying, <sighs> against, against even better competition on had the road. Had to have had a game-winning field goal since then. I don't know if they have, but I'll go check. I'll check for you. We got a couple of other games on this list. Penn State, Wisconsin, Louisville, Miss, Notre Dame, Florida State. We'll talk about those when we come back. You're listening to On the Line. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Thirty minutes left in the Thursday edition of On the Line. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Follow Fox Sports Central Alabama on Facebook to keep up with the latest going on in sports. On the Line, the drive with Bill Cameron, analysis, news, and more. All on Fox Sports Central Alabama on FoxSports983.com and on Facebook. That's FoxSports983.com. Got a text in via our text box that you can text 334-564-1840 lance hit everybody with it we got a text and all it says is war eagle turn and i up. do i do appreciate that turn up exactly war eagle hit him <laughs> hit him with one come on with it 334-564-1840 if you want to call in 334-321-1390 different numbers there save them in your phone one as the call in number and the other one as the text number it's easy to do that. Just save it as a contact in your phone, and you can easily just communicate with us, whether it's after the fact on the podcast or live during the show. Once again, call in 334-321-1390 or text us at 334-564-1840. Going through some college football week one spreads, I didn't imagine that this would take us this long, but here we are. We are down to the last three games on this spread list. There were a lot more spreads put out there, but these were the ones that we took to talk about. Seemed to be a little bit more interesting. Back to the Big Ten, talking about the other Big Ten conference matchup or Big Ten versus Big Ten game to open up the season. Penn State, Wisconsin. It, 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 you know, the big it's funny. Penn State, Wisconsin, all these other Big Ten schools, they had to play an all Big Ten schedule and they just couldn't wait to start 2021 with a, with a Big Ten game to start the year. It's a shame. And it's going to be a blowout. Because uh, Wisconsin's winning outright, and they are covering by a mile. Well, you didn't even let me get the line out. Wisconsin by four. It doesn't matter. doesn't matter. doesn't matter. I think this is going to be a gross game. It will. It's going to be nasty. That's the state of the Big Ten. Neither of these teams give me a whole lot of confidence in their quarterback situation. Sean Clifford, average at best. Graham Mertz, above average at best, I think. Neither of these teams give me a whole lot of confidence in what they do on the offensive side of the ball to real to really be able to do much more than just run the ball. And if both of these, te- I, I just imagine they're a brick wall where the offensive line or really where the trenches would be. Just imagine a brick wall and both of these teams running into it every play. And who can who who can move the wall? Right, that's how I imagine this game. It's going to be gross. I'll watch it because of the two helmets. I will watch Penn State-Wisconsin because it's probably one of the better week one games. But it's going to be gross. I'm thinking something like, I think Wisconsin covers by like five. I'm, th- I'm thinking like, give me like 19 to, to to 14 or something. Something nasty with with a, too many field goals. 
for this to be a, a college football game, but it is the Big Ten, of course. There's just It's just going to be a tug of war. I think that's the best way to describe it. you got two teams with good offensive lines, a lot of big dudes. To, you know, it, it, This is a Midwest football game if I've ever seen one. I don't like these two offenses enough to really say that Wisconsin is going to separate by a lot, but I think they're a more complete team. And, and this style of play fits a Wisconsin-built team a little bit more than a Penn State-built team. Yeah, you talk about these teams not necessarily scoring a whole lot of points or being very dynamic on offense. Actually, I've got an interesting stat for you. Sean Clifford, you want to guess what his record is whenever he throws for over 300 yards? Has he ever thrown for over 300 yards? He's done it four times. I'll, give you, I'll, I'll let you guess what his record is. I feel like it can't be four and zero, but it should be. It's one and three. It's one and three. He has lost three games when throwing for over three hundred yards. If this offense does well, I would assume that Penn State loses just based on the fact that Clifford at quarterback's not not he's not been able to win them a game when he's had a good game. Is that because they had to throw the ball more because maybe they were trailing? Maybe it was because the defense wasn't doing his job and the other team was scoring at will. Based on what I've seen, no. Really? Yeah, it's it's that's even it, more surprising. It's, it's just possibly. been like statistically, as far as points are scored, average. Like the offensive offensive offenses have actually been pretty balanced, just based on the games that I looked at. And when you look at his most efficient game outside of those four games, from what I could find on his game logs, was against Michigan. Oh, I'm sorry, as far as against top 25 teams. Most efficient game against a top 25 team was against Michigan in 2019 where he completed 56% of his passes for 182 yards. That's his best game ever against a top 25 team. Man, this guy's worse than, than think of, some people view Bo Nix. Think about what he'll do against Wisconsin, who historically, well, not historically, at least over the past f- four or five years, this is a really, really solid defense. Think about what he's going to do against Wisconsin, and then think about what he's going to do against Auburn. I don't know if he's going to be able to do a whole lot against Auburn. I, as, as much as I've been researching outside of the SEC and really a lot today ventured into the Big Ten because of some of these lines, I feel a lot better about the Penn State game than maybe I did to begin with. What bothers me the most about the Penn State game is the environment and the possibility that it could be like a whiteout game and how loud that place gets under those circumstances and if Auburn will be able to compete under those circumstances. But definitely definitely not the best offensive circumstances for Penn State going to this year with Sean Clifford at quarterback we're going to head to the phone lines now 334-321-1390 we will come back to our spreads in just a few moments but we got Matt on the line with us Matt what's up my man hey guys uh, this may not be a question for you guys but I was curious about the programming here on 106.7 um there's a lot of the Adam Schefter podcast later and it's not uh in the fit and um the other shows that are usually on later in the evening. I was wondering if you guys knew why that was. I actually don't know, but I will check on that and I'll ask about that. Can you repeat that question? Because there was a there was a little bit of kind of a kind of a little static there when you asked. You said something about an Adam Schefter podcast and then something else. Yeah, there's a lot of the Adam Schefter podcast is just in loop and later later at night and um, Saint and Fitz isn't usually on and then um, the other. The other shows after that are, aren't on, like the normal ESPN uh, radio shows, and mm-hmm. I was just curious about that. Okay, we'll go and check on that for you. As soon as we get off air, Matt, we'll go and check on it, and then uh, maybe call back tomorrow, and we, we'll possibly have an update for you. All right, sounds good. Have a good day. Appreciate it, Matt. You too. That was Matt on the line with us. 334-321-1390. Also, text us at 334-564-1840. 
Find us on Twitter at Point Gardner at Dog Pound. SEC game here, Louisville against Ole Miss. Ole Miss seven point favorites. I was I was a little shocked to see Ole Miss. That's one of the most. That's a more hardy lead than I've seen. A little bit more of a hardy line here amongst other games across this group. I would have thought this to be a little bit closer. Quickly, I want to point out, just quick, really quickly before we move on to Louisville, about Sean Clifford. Looking through his game logs, played against one top 25 team again, or last season, number three, Ohio State. He's 3-3 three and three overall versus top 25 teams. And again, his most efficient game when, whenever they won against a top 25 team was that 2019 Michigan game. You look at the, the Cotton Bowl against Memphis, he was only 11 of 20 for 133 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. The, uh, the game against Iowa, where they won 17-12, to 12, he was 12 of 24 for 117 yards and one touchdown. That's the score I was looking for. Wisconsin went 17-12. to 17-12 is what we're going for, baby. And then he played uh, sparingly in 2018. Got to play a little bit in the, the game against Kentucky, but he was he was 0-2 in that game. So again, whenever he plays top 25 teams, he either loses or if the team wins, he does not look good. So I'll say this real quick before we move back to Louisville Ole Miss. Auburn fans, the overreaction of week one, and I only say overreaction because you probably do need to pump the brakes because we don't know a whole lot about Auburn after week one, but the overreaction after week one from Auburn fans after they watch Penn State get beat by Wisconsin and, and what you think they'll get handled. My early prediction for week one overreaction is that Auburn fans think that Auburn's going to go into Happy Valley and eat Penn State's lunch. Just take it clean off the table from them and, 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 and destroy them based off of seeing Penn State lose in week one to Wisconsin and then Auburn will dismantle Akron. I think that will be the week one overreaction. I will say that we probably don't know enough, but that right now I'm we're two months out from seeing Auburn play Akron who knows maybe I'll be one of those people that has that week one overreaction you know I find it funny about Clifford uh, again he only has three four or four rather 300 yard games in his career and one of them was against Maryland in 2019 they won that game then he had in 2020 another 300 yard game against Maryland but they lost that game I find I just find that really entertaining but moving on to Louisville and Ole Miss Ole Miss seven Ole Miss favored line. by se- seven I'm gonna take Ole Miss to to win outright and to cover I think this Ole Miss team is gonna be able to score a lot of points I really like what Ole Miss or whatever what Louisville has in terms of players I really like their head coach coach and Scott Satterfield I like what they're doing they're not going to be able to compete against an SEC offense like Ole Miss I think they're going to be able to score a lot of points and not necessarily blow Louisville out of the water but I'm feeling like a 38 to 24 type of game I avoid this game like the plague as well I hate this line I I have a hard time with this one because Ole Miss's defense is still the downfall of the program and and there's not a whole lot to make me feel secure about them this year on that side of the ball either this is going to be a fun game because of what Malik Cunningham can do for Louisville on that side of the ball and then also going back to Ole Miss's defense is not very good but Ole Miss brings back Matt Corral the quarterbacks in this game it's going to make it a fun game and I like that this is not on the Saturday this is the Monday game I believe that I think this is Labor Day or it's Sunday Mm -hmm. I can't remember I think it's Labor Day so I like that this is on its own because Ole Miss is that this is a fun quarterback battle but this would not probably get my attention on the Saturday with some of the other games that are going on it's going to be fun watching Matt Corral and Malik Cunningham duel it out where both of these teams defenses aren't very good the big difference here is I feel more confident in a game where there's going to be a lot of points scored probably that Ole Miss will separate rather than Louisville being able to keep this in a nail-biter. I'm not giving Louisville much of a chance to win this game. So I brought it down to, all right, which is more likely, Louisville keeps it close like a nail-biter or Ole Miss wins by slightly more than a touchdown. 
I went with Ole Miss wins by slightly more than a touchdown. Like, I'm going 41-31 Ole Miss wins this game. Let's head to the phone line, though. 334-321-1390. Brett has called in. Brett, what's up, my man? Hey, heard y'all talking about the Penn State game. Um, I looked up a few things on them, too, and uh, a lot of folks are saying that they're going to turn it around, which I I guess they could, but uh, their offensive line last year finished like 104th or 109th in pass protection efficiency. I mean, yeah, they, pretty bad. they were awful. Yeah. But it's worse than Auburn's. It's a whole lot worse, and, and, and that's hard to believe. But um, And also, I think as a team, they averaged 3.9 yards a carry. So uh, n- not real good offensive line play. Um, you know, folks will say, well, the last four games, you know, they, they turned it back around. Well, first five games, they gave up anywhere from 30 – to 40 or 41 points in the first five games in every game but the last four games they played were like against teams who finished with abysmal seasons that's I mean, right. like two and five or two and six or three and five something something like that so really and truly oh, oh oh last thing on their offensive line they lost one guy who had started you know 35 36 games and they lost another one started 29 they picked up the dude auburn wanted uh, from Harvard, I think at guard, but still, you, you wouldn't think that they'd have uh, a, a real good offensive line this year. So, uh, I'm thinking Auburn, if they can move the ball at all, Auburn should pull that game. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I think I think Auburn fans are going to be after watching Week One. I think Auburn fans are going to be feeling pretty good about it. And and I'm with you. The more I do more and more research about Penn State, the more I see a team that that I, I don't think is bouncing back. And this could be James Franklin's last ride with the Nittany Lions. Yeah, and you talk about that offensive line. They are ranked not only 109th in pass blocking efficiency, but they were 109th nationally in, in sacks allowed per game last season. They averaged 3.2 sacks per contest. So it's, it's abysmal. Yeah. All right, guys. Have a good one. Appreciate it, Brett. Thanks for calling in. That was Brett on the line with us, 334-321-1390. Yeah, the more, the more I do research on Penn State, the only thing that scares me is the environment. And the only reason why I said it might be an overreaction week one for Auburn fans to just be like, you know, watering at the mouth to go there for week three to say that Auburn's just going to go in there and destroy them is just because of, yes, the environment. Also, how much do we know about Auburn after week one? That's kind of me pumping the brakes like you, mm-hmm. that, that, that you tend to do. But that's more a little bit more of a cautious take. But I'm with Brett. The more and more that I do research on Penn State, I think it's a better matchup from, for Auburn. The question also, like Brett said, is can Auburn move the ball? Right. And I think Penn State's defense will be all right this year. I think it'll still be a, a, you know, a top half unit at the Big Ten, which should be able to stall Auburn a bit at home. The question is, can Auburn find the points there? I think they will. I'm feeling a lot better about Auburn being 4-0 after non-conference play going into the LSU game. And you already know what my take is on the LSU game, so I guess I should just say 5-0 going into the Georgia game, which is a hot take at this point compared to national perception. But – I think people will see it. Yeah, and the issue with that Penn State defense is they were working with a lot of short fields last season. That offense did them absolutely no favors whatsoever. And if they can get that sorted out a little bit this season, I think they'll have a little bit more success. But if Auburn does go into Penn State and they beat them, not just by just not just like oh my goodness we beat them, thank, thank goodness we got out of there alive, but they beat them by like fourteen points, seventeen points, twenty one points. I'm heading into that LSU matchup and I'm heading into that Georgia ma- matchup thinking we're going all the way, baby. 
<laughs> like, well, I will you be still bounce- might need to pump the brakes there because the Georgia game is going to be a whole nother animal to tackle. I will be bouncing off the walls. I'll just be like, okay, then we we, we can win we can win some games. But right. imagine Jordan Hare Stadium with the Georgia team that's undefeated at the time that I believe will beat Clemson in Week One, and then an Auburn team that will have beaten Penn State and LSU. And imagine what that Jordan Hare environment will be like, and what that game will be like. And unfortunately, I, I still think Georgia's a pretty bad matchup for Auburn, and I, and I'm. And I think that if if I'm pointing towards a best case scenario for Auburn this year would be like a ten and two season with losses to Georgia and Alabama. I've said oftentimes on this show that I think those are the two games that Auburn loses, like without even me like thinking about it too much. But that is going to be a fun game in Jordan Hare Stadium if those two teams go into it five and zero. Oh, and I think there's a real possibility for that. If, if anything, I'm favoring that to be the most likely possibility that those two teams go into that game at five and zero. Oh. We we just got a text. This is from Specter. He has a comment. He's been listening to our podcast. He has a comment on Auburn's last five co- head coaches in the ranking that we gave them. He asked what the best time to call in, Specter. If you want to call in as we're going to break here, uh, we'd love to get your thoughts on our coach rankings over the past five or past five head coaches for Auburn well then let's take a quick break here we'll be back to wrap up the show on the other side of this break wrapping up the Thursday edition of on the line Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama before we wrap up the Thursday edition let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. A new episode of Dwayne Wade's show, The Cube, is on TBS at 8. A couple of new episodes on Food Network as well with Beat Bobby Flay at 7 and Restaurant Impossible at 8. Some movie selections for tonight. The Boss Baby is on FX at 7. The 1971 edition of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory is on Sci-Fi at 7 as well. You can catch the Twilight Saga Eclipse from 7 to 10 on Freeform. And live sports, the Atlanta Hawks and the Milwaukee Bucks meet for Game 5 in a tied series at 2-2. Two to two. The Hawks have the momentum after a blowout Game 4 win. Catch tonight's game at 7.30 on TNT. NL West matchup in the MLB. The San Francisco Giants are at the Arizona Diamondbacks at 8.40 on ESPN. In the soccer world, the United States women's national team has an international friendly against Mexico at 6.30 on FS1. MLS soccer follows it at 8.30 with a game between Austin FC and the Portland Timbers. I'm Noah Gardner, and that's what's on TV tonight. We've been running through a lot of college football week one spreads that we saw Cole Kubelik put out on his Twitter account, and we're to our last line. It's Notre Dame favored by nine and a half on the road at Florida State. There's been a lot of fun ones here. This one is one that I'm willing to throw out a hot take on. Noah, whenever I bet, I don't bet quickly. I think Notre Dame's not going to cover, and they're going to lose. Uh, it's a flat out, flat out. Give me Florida State. Give me them by. Give me. Give me them by uh, ten points. I think Florida State wins this game. See, but folks are so familiar with your bias against the Notre Dame Fighting Irish that now I have to bring a little bit of logic to this. All right, I'll bring some logic. Let's bring out the flow chart. Are you an SEC team? No. Do I like you? I don't like either of these teams. Who plays in a better conference? Well, Notre Dame doesn't play in a conference, so there's, therefore it Florida excludes State has them. to win. Yeah. I'm going with Florida State to uh, – I will take Florida State with the points, but I'm not certain if Florida State will win this game outright. I want to pull the upset, but I do think that Florida State will cover in this one, and it has to do with Jack Cohn being the quarterback at Notre Dame. And I don't know how much people watch Jack Cohn at Wisconsin, but it felt like the peak amount of points that a Jack Cohn offense at Wisconsin could score 
was like 24 in a game or, or something weird, like 26, all right, because there were going to be a lot of field goals. Jack Cohn is just not a quarterback that can push the ball down the field. There's a lot of limitations with what Jack Cohn will do at quarterback. Now, he's not going to turn the ball over a whole bunch, but it's just going to be very close to the line of scrimmage. It's, it's going to be a short game, short to intermediate game with Jack Cohn, death by a thousand cuts. This Notre Dame offense is going to have a serious problem this year throwing the football compared to what they had with Ian Book, who had big playability if you watch them at all last year. That Notre Dame offense was legit, and I do believe that Notre Dame team last year deserved to be in the playoff based on how we saw them play against Alabama in the playoff. Now, granted, they did get rocked, but I think that that team, based on the teams that they played last year, they deserve to get in. This year, they're outside of the ACC again, and you know, I don't. I don't think they're going to get anywhere near the playoff. I think you're looking at a possibly a three or a four loss Notre Dame this team this year, possibly on average. What Florida State has, despite the fact that Florida State is less talented than Notre Dame in probably every other category than the one I'm about to mention, they still are better than them at one very crucial position. That's quarterback. Mackenzie Milton's a better quarterback than Jack Cohn, and Mackenzie Milton has the talent to keep Florida State in this ball game. And as I already mentioned, with Jack Cohn and what he's limited as a quarterback, that's going to simplify the defensive game plan a bit for Florida State and able to keep this thing in arm's reach in week one. There's not a whole lot coming back for Notre Dame. Florida State, regardless of what's coming back, they're still not that talented. But I think McKenzie Milton can keep this thing close enough to where it's a very interesting ball game on Labor Day. Yeah, Athlon having McKenzie Milton as a backup is absurd to me. He will start this game and they will win. That's it for the Thursday edition of On the Line. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl will be back with you tomorrow. You know where to find us. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody.